0: The gospel lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter, verses 33 to 37. So listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The church calendar officially marks this morning as the last Sunday of the year, and we are going out with a bang. Regal music, handbells that will literally ring in the reign of Christ. It's as if the whole church calendar has been building up to the final claim, Christ is King. This is the arc of the church year, the one that starts over again next year and ends today, From Advent, when we wait and we watch for the Messiah, the King, until this final Sunday of the year when we look to Christ seated on the throne of God who is, as Revelation proclaims, the ruler of all the kings of the earth. It's a bold claim, one that carries with it power and authority and praise. But I'll be honest that I feel a little ambivalent about this Sunday Because as near as I can tell, in our time and place in the world today, we don't have much use for kings. I admit that I, like many Americans, have a sort of unhealthy fascination with the British royal family, but at the end of the day, Queen Elizabeth II and her family does not have a lot of substantive power in my life, aside from providing some content for me to look at and enjoy in the grocery store checkout aisle. Most of us do not feel in any way threatened by the pronouncement of a king or a queen in today's geopolitical context. We do not live in a time where loyalty or obedience to a king means much. But inside Pilate's quarters in this morning's text is another thing entirely. In the first century, under Roman rule in a political context and Jewish authorities in a religious context, to say that Jesus was king was no laughing matter. His presence and his preaching over the course of the gospel had created quite a stir among the political and religious powers, and for them, a king mattered. The Jewish people, after all, were waiting for a king. We know the story from the Old Testament forth, right? After deliverance from Pharaoh and navigating the wilderness for 40 years, they finally make it to the promised land, and eventually Saul is anointed king. There is this sense of hope that all of their problems will be answered because God's reign on earth has finally come but any of us who have read more of the Old Testament know it doesn't exactly happen that way. The transfer of power goes from Saul to David and David to Solomon and on down the line of kings, and they don't exactly have the greatest track record. More than a fair share of the kings in the Old Testament did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, is the refrain we hear. The kingdom split External forces from the Assyrians to the Babylons conquered and then exiled the people of Israel. And in the course of this great reign, they lost it all. Place, security, connection, identity. And nevertheless, in the midst of all of this devastation and displacement, prophets spoke words of promise that God would yet restore, rebuild, rebuild resurrect God's kingdom. Isaiah promises that a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse and the Spirit will anoint him and he shall judge with righteousness. And to Jewish ears, that was the promise that God would send a new king. And so on the one hand, the Jewish people were waiting for a king. Despite the fact that their track record with kings wasn't exactly stellar, they were expecting God to send another king, powerful, commanding, and most importantly, one that would keep the Jewish power structures in place. And Jesus was not that king. So Jesus lands himself in Pilate's quarters this morning not because he was powerful and commanding, but precisely because he was not. He didn't fit the bill. He wasn't the ideal candidate, and if he was king, then the kind of kingdom he was describing was going to disrupt the power structures of the temple. In the eyes of the powerful, the preferential treatment for the meek and the marginalized didn't grow the circle wider. In their eyes, the poor and the outcast, in order for them to have a piece of the pie, the rich and the powerful were going to have to give something up and they weren't exactly excited about doing that. So in their eyes, it was easier to get rid of a threat and maintain the status quo, even if the status quo wasn't great, than to engage with prophetic imagination in the vision of a new kind of kingdom or kingdom with God. So they do... What seems logical, to hand Jesus over to the state, hoping that the unjust powers there would take care of the matter for him. Pilate's task, while similarly judgmental, was a little bit different, he was to sort out whether Jesus was a threat not to the Jewish authorities but to the empire. And as much as the Jewish authorities didn't want their power structures to change, Pilate felt even more so. Pilate was invested in the political structure of Rome and benefited from it. So any competing power that would undermine his authority was cause for death. And so we find ourselves as a kind of fly on the wall in Pilate's quarters for a private conversation between Pilate and Jesus. You can imagine Pilate with Jesus standing before him, and he takes one look at this man with sandals and a simple tunic and says, he doesn't look like a king to me. And the conversation that follows in this morning's text is a bit like that Abbott and Costello who's on first routine, where they ask questions of one another, and the answers fly past each other so much that Pilate can't tell whether Jesus has committed political insurrection right in front of him or not. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate says? What do you think, says Jesus? Nothing about what Pilate sees before him in the mandate of Jesus checks out. Kings have loyal followers. Not the case here. Kings have territory, boundaries that need protecting, Everything Pilate's heard about Jesus says Jesus is about erasing boundary lines. Kings have power. Jesus' only power appears to be that he speaks the truth. And so in the midst of this scene, you can sense that there's something going on inside Pilate in this moment. He knows the truth. In fact, the capital T truth is standing right before him, offering him the very ability to transform the world. But instead of embracing truth, Pilate steps back and starts to go through the calculus of the costs and benefits of his next move. Jesus poses no real threat to Pilate, but the Jewish authorities do. And if Jesus rises, then Pilate lowers, and for the powerful, the game is always a zero-sum game. More power to one means less power to another, and letting go of power is really hard, and in that way, perhaps we can identify. If any of us here were asked, do you want to help transform the world? I think we'd all say, sure, yeah, I do. But if any of us were asked, are you willing to give up certain powers and privileges and comfort and control to bring about that transformation, most of us would, like Pilate, might spend a minute thinking. If any of us were asked, do you long for justice in the world? I think, I hope, most of us would say yes. But if any of us were asked, are we willing to reconstruct or reform a system so that everyone can experience justice? most of us, like Pilate, might spend a minute thinking. Like Pilate, we know the right answer with the capital T truth standing right before us, but the courage to step forward and confess Christ as king comes at a cost. Catholic theologian Richard Rohr puts it ever so succinctly. He says, when we pray the Lord's Prayer each week, To pray and actually mean, Thy kingdom come, we must also be willing to say, My kingdoms go. And perhaps that's precisely why we need Christ the King Sunday, why giving voice to Christ as king is so important. Perhaps we begin that work together as a church because to speak about the church's role in praying, Thy kingdom come, requires that we confess that the church has at times built itself into a kingdom that's clung on to its own powers over Christ. To be a confessional church requires that we confess about ourselves that we have fallen short of Christ's kingdom, and there's plenty of evidence of that. And yet, we live in a tension because the church's role in praying thy kingdom come has also had moments Where proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ was a bold and prophetic stance against the corrupting powers of the world. You know, this Sunday that we call Christ the King Sunday was not officially deemed a day in the church calendar until 1925, when Pope Pius XI established this liturgical day as a way to counter the destructive forces of fascism and totalitarianism and Nazi ideologies that were bubbling up in Europe. To celebrate Christ as king was about stating a claim that our loyalty and belonging rested in Christ over and against the political forces seeking our allegiance. Just a decade later in Barmen, Germany, the Reformed Church took a similar approach not by creating a liturgical holiday, but by writing a confession. The Declaration of Barmen, a part of our own church's book of confessions, stood up against uniting German churches under Hitler's Third Reich. Without ever mentioning Hitler's name, the confession rejected Nazi rule by stating our allegiance to Christ as king. It affirmed what the church believes, opening that Jesus Christ, as he is attested in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. By stating what we stand for, we state what we stand against. To confess Jesus is Lord is to say, and not Hitler. To confess Jesus as king is to say, and not the state. The church was willing to let go of its power and protection and put itself in the line of persecution and peril for the sake of the truth. In the same way, in 1986, during apartheid in South Africa, the Belhar Confession pointed us to that capital T truth, when the church chose power, when the church had chosen power and place over the persecution of others. The confession states, we believe that Christ's work of reconciliation is made manifest in the church as the community of believers who have been reconciled to God and one another. In each affirmation is also a rejection. Jesus reconciles, apartheid does not. Jesus calls us to a kingdom, not a kingdom. So what good is a king today? Do we, in fact, have any use for a king? It feels as if the challenge of the white church today is to step into Pilate's shoes as the ones with power and authority and what we perceive as potentially a lot to lose And we're called like Pilate to listen to Jesus' voice, to stare capital T truth in the face, and then decide if we want to embrace him or crucify him. Pilate renders Jesus not guilty, but he stops short of real transformation. He uses the existing power structures, the catch 22s in the law, to ensure that his power remains intact. Roar says, to pray, thy kingdom come, requires that we say, my kingdoms go. I wonder if we have the courage to embrace Christ as king, even if it means letting go of some of our power and comfort. I wonder if we're ready to draw close to what might feel scary for the sake of the truth embodied in Jesus the Christ. Church historian, author, and cancer survivor Kate Bowler has become accustomed to the practice of letting go. Her experience with cancer has forced her to let go of all kinds of personal and professional power for the sake of her life. And so she wrote in her blog recently, she said, I've watched my fair share of Netflix during the pandemic. And one of my favorites of the year was a documentary unlikely called My Octopus Teacher. She says in the documentary we meet a shy octopus who lives off the coast of South Africa and we watch as she protects herself by squeezing her boneless mass into crevices to hide from predators or disguising herself by using all eight of her arms to grab shells and clamp onto those close to her body. It's a brilliant survival tactic. She says, but the most amazing moment of the documentary is when she meets a shark that she is no match for. The shark had stalked her, biting at her as she hid as best she could in the cleft of a rock. But what did the octopus do? Instead of hiding, she went forth and she clung on to the shark's back as he moved powerfully throughout the sea. Imagine, Kate says, the primordial fear harnessed as she moved forward, not away from that which was dangerous, that which she was afraid of. What if confessing Christ as king is an opportunity to quit protecting ourselves by hiding or disguising who we really are, and instead to listen to the truth with a capital T who has already claimed us and loved us, and called us his own? What if the invitation of Christ the King is to move forward toward conversations and change that might feel dangerous, but because it requires us to let our kingdoms go? What if the invitation of Christ the King is to draw close to Jesus even if it feels scary? What if the call is not just to proclaim Christ as King, but to move closer to one another toward Christ's kingdom, even if we're afraid, even if it requires us to lose power to gain Christ. What if we need a king after all? May it be so. Amen.